0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and does not contain or replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Get Australia, Glenn James here, and you are with... John Pigeon, And welcome to My Millennial Money. Today, we are... Johnny, we're having a chat with Franco Gecko yes. from Melbourne. He's a psychologist. Yes. And... I'm looking forward to this chat. He's going gonna to dial in. But before we get into that, a couple of housekeeping things. If you are new to My Millennial Money and the podcast world, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We basically do this podcast for the M3 community. If you are interested in joining the M3 community, what do you need to do? You just need to jump into Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, follow us on Instagram. If you don't have Instagram, just listen to the podcast. Just listen in. You're part of the community. So, if you are a transient listener, if this is the first time you've come across us, welcome. We know it's not for everybody. Mm. We can't this please be, everybody. This might be your last session. This with could us. be your first and last session, <laughs> but that's okay. Thanks for giving us a try. Yeah. Uh, we certainly try and we try and please about eighty percent on average. On average, we don't even try. I think that's just the facts. So, thanks for listening. And we are recording most episodes now with video. That's on the YouTube M3TV channel so you can search My Millennial Money on YouTube. But what else has been happening, John? Not much. Don't forget our show partner, Sun Super. Yes. Thank you, Sun Super. Sun Super, you know, me having a financial advice background, it's really important that people get advice. Now, if you're a member of Sun Super, you know, particularly in this time with volatile investment markets and you want some specific advice for your situation. If you're a member of Sunsuper, you can call them up and get complimentary advice for your situation. Mm, And they're also a super fund that's financial advisor friendly. So, there's about 3,000 registered advisors all over Australia. So, that means if I want financial advice and I don't want to call Sunsuper but I want to deal with my own advisor about my Sunsuper fund, they can have an advisor portal and uh, see all the stuff in the background. Yeah, so that's good. I, I'm a big fan of super funds being advisor-friendly because not everyone can do it themselves no. and some people will require the help of a financial advisor. So Absolutely. There you go. Mm. Now, let's get into this chat. If you don't finish it because it's a longer chat, uh, we talk about mental health. You can see in the show notes there are a heap of resources. Uh, if you need to go to your GP and get a mental health plan if you are struggling. Uh, Franco, who we chat with, he's told us that at the moment, he's not charging a gap. So, if you go and get a mental health plan, you get 10 complimentary sessions from the government per year Per year, and Franco would just bulk bill that 100% without a gap. Yeah, so, that's handy. there's no reason other than you not having the physical time to get professional help right now if you need it because... Mm. The government will pay for it.
3: Yeah, well, it's a want to reach out to someone as well, isn't
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. So enjoy the episode.
0: Franco Greco is registered as a psychologist and an internationally accredited executive and organisational coach. He has extensive corporate executive experience working in the Victorian public sector for over 20 years. He assists with anxiety, depression, addiction, grief and loss, trauma, resilience building and stress management. He also has experience in the areas of corporate and career counselling, workplace concerns, bullying and couples and fertility counselling. I believe he may need his own therapist after speaking with Glenn. Hey, Franco,
2: thanks so much for joining us and on behalf of the M3 community, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Now, Pleasure. I just wanted to start by first asking, what are you seeing at this time in your private practice and also from the work that you're doing with the Victorian state government? So, mm. it's a really interesting time. I see a lot of clients that have anxiety and depression
4: and I guess the, the overarching observation I'm making is that the people that do have anxiety, so let's say social anxiety, for example, a feeling like that it's very it's it's not a time that's unusual for them and what they're sort of um, in, interpreting in terms of the the level of anxiety and worry they're currently having is that other people experience it like them so they actually feel a bit more connected in a sense to to what to what they normally feel uh, people who have social anxiety for example um, they are likely to want to stay at home anyway uh, so they feel that socialization actually helps them on one level but generally there are other clients who feel heightened levels of anxiety uh, with COVID-19, uh, and you see it in the context of people coming to see you face-to-face. So they feel like, you know, there's there's, there's an opportunity for them to um, see firsthand. They can't shake your hand. They can't uh, – there's sanitizers everywhere. And um, so in the therapy room is quite a, a unique situation that we're in, that we have a, long, a bit of distance between us. Um, we also moved to – telehealth. So there's a lot of consultation now happening online. And uh, that's impacting on the way in which people are experiencing therapists or therapy that they normally wouldn't have experienced. But generally, I think there's a sense of heightened anxiety, which is understandable. People fear what's happening. They fear just how they might uh, experience uh, either catching COVID-19 or they fear giving it to someone else. And I think that's a natural way It's a natural experience that people
2: are feeling at the moment. So, if you are listening and you are not affected by mental health, I think I want you to listen just so you can learn because there could be instances where people are under a lot more stress and pressure at the moment and a lot of the cases with the financial stress that's out there in the community, that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back for somebody. So, if we're just aware of what other people are going through I think it's a good topic for you to listen to if you think I don't have any mental health issues and I'm all good in that area. But there's a question here from Fuang Dong, and apologies if I haven't pronounced your name correctly, and I'm just going to play that right now.
1: I've just finished quarantine after arriving home from overseas. Combating the stress of finding a flight home and being isolated due to potential infection was a major shock to the system. I'm currently working from home with decreased hours and pay. The biggest areas that were impacted were my sleep, diet and overall mood, feeling a lot of uncertainty and uneasiness. Things I've been doing to help with this include keeping to a schedule and controlling expenses where I can. I've been continuing with cycling, maintaining hobbies of interest, meal prepping and taking vitamins. I've temporarily cut expenses, like Netflix and health insurance for the time being, since my dentist and ortho are closed, so I can't claim anyway. I can't control what happens around the world and its impacts, but analysing areas that I can gives me the stability I need on a day by day basis. What are some subtle clues we should look out for when it comes to anxiety, breakdowns, and depression that often get looked over? Question 2. All this stress relating to work, salary, health, major change of routine has me feeling like I've lost all ability to socialize and function normally, and I've been feeling more awkward around people. Is it quite common to feel like your brain has done a total reset on itself during times of immense pressure?
4: Yeah, sure. So I guess what are the, what are the clues sort of clues that you look for when it comes to anxiety? Um, breakdowns of depression, I think one of the things is uh, if you see people that um, if you're starting to experience a sense of panic, that you're overgeneralising um, a problem or an issue that comes to this issue around a clue around anxiety, so proportional, your anxiety proportional to the – you're anxious about something that's, you know, that's proportional to the situation. So, so you're overestimating the fear of something happening. That's probably a key sign. If you're feeling that it's all a bit hopeless – uh, you feeling yourself disconnected with other people. Uh, you're not reaching out to people. These are sort of signs, in a way, that you feel that you're you're alone, and and that might lead to some serious, some sense of feeling feeling depressed or or anxious. And often we 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 often feel that we have to manage it all by ourselves, and so we isolate ourselves. I mean, respectively, that's the way we do it at the moment, socially or physically isolating ourselves. But we can actually reach out to people. So when you're seeing things like you're overgeneralizing a problem, your reaction to something is um, is more emotional than you normally would do, emotionally react to, and you are seeing that you, you you would not reach out to people in a way that you normally would. These are sort of clues to, you might be experiencing some level of anxiety, and you might be feeling a sense of helplessness about the situation you're in.
3: So, so Franco, you're looking at, I suppose, more of a self-diagnosis signs. What, what... Does the, uh, the person outside of the individual notice um, as well? Is it basically a replica of what that person's feeling and, and the actions that they're taking?
4: Yeah, I think when, when you sort of see someone, uh, we've all been in situations where you feel that some people's uh, reactions to a situation is, is again, over, over the top, that their reaction or to a, to a, a, they've been triggered in a particular way uh, that normally wouldn't react to something in that way normally. Um, so it's in a sense what we what we sort of looking out for is people behaving in ways that are not normally the way they normally would act, uh, given the circumstances that we're currently in, and that gives you a bit of a clue to to if they're feeling anxious, if they're feeling uh, helpless, and um, yeah, so it's, it's it's the same sort of thing. Once a better self diagnosis, but also if you are noticing these in other people, it also gives you some interesting clues as well to how they're coping at the moment.
2: Yeah, and point two of the question is it quite common to feel like your brain has done a, a massive reset on itself during this immense pressure? So I guess, you know, it could be the work, the salary, routines out the window. What, what's this person feeling in terms of the brain resetting? Is it just a, a big overwhelming sensation that's shutting them down? Yeah, interesting question actually. I think, and actually I feel a lot of people don't talk about this, but the
4: disruption to routine does actually cause us to start um, questioning our decision making. So normally, when we would normally engage in a routine of work, going to work or going out socially, you mentioned not earlier, but you know, going out to see, um, spending weekends, uh, weekends, sort of taking kids on the, on the um, uh, sporting uh, recreational activities that they do for school. They so they, they the routine punctuates a level of decision making that people make, and when you, that's out of the window, people are making disor- disorganized decisions. They're more likely to make. Uh, decisions that, are, that they normally wouldn't make, so so that's what you find often that the functionality sort of goes out the window as well. And so what 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 people be interested in to sort of see is the observation of that is So you talked a bit about let's say for example when you're no longer at work, uh, socialising with people at work or going out to work, and your day to day experience is actually being at home. You lose sense of that time and you lose sense of structure, and people. Uh, with that lack of structure, do tend to fall into into other types of habits uh, that need to sort of fill that space. And some of them actually is a bit disoriented. But over time, I think what people then tend to do is need to adjust to a new normal. So what then people then do is, is go into the situation Well, okay, maybe there's a bit of structure that they need to engage in. So people over a period of time might, I think you'll find that now when, when we're in sort of the second month of the social isolation, that people are starting to get more structure into their day and they're feeling much more they're benefiting from it, but initially they probably didn't, right? Initially they're sort of a bit new, but the brain actually adjusts quite 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 well to um, because it seeks to seek seeks to minimise cognitive dissonance. It tries to 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 decrease this sense of this, the cognitive uh, complexity. So we are cognitive misers. We actually want to engage in less confusion. So we try to find a way in which to seek a way of minimizing, you know, the, the cognitive brain effort.
2: Mm.
3: So Larissa asks, uh, what are some techniques to help maintain your mental health during a crisis like we are now experiencing? And how much mm. does financial stress play a part in our mental health? So maybe the first part of it.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So I guess one of the techniques really is around, again, it goes back to the issue around maintaining a daily routine as much as possible. And that is... I guess the reason why I sort of say that's really quite important is because that is such a disruption to way we normally would operate and work and live. We are social beings. We connect with people. We normally do work. Uh, most of us do work on a, on a regular basis or at least go out and work or we've got other type of recreational activities. We engage with people, finding ways in which to uh, have a routine that allows us to do that as much as possible, uh, aligns to what we currently had previously done prior to the the crisis is really quite important ways in which to make time for some form of physical exercise or physical activity is really quite important as well because that ellipses your your mental health there's a lot of connection there between link between exercise and mental health particularly depression and anxiety i think sometimes we we tend to utilize coping mechanisms that may not be optimal so, for example, if you've got alcohol in the home, for example, sometimes, you know, that there's an issue there around, you know, how often you consume alcohol. So it's really about being moderate and being understanding of the the triggers associated with actually eating or using, consuming of alcohol, for example, as ways of emotional coping mechanisms. So looking at ways, looking at how you, how you are being triggered in that context. Staying connected with people and friends through, you know, through either social media or the phone is really quite important as well. But also... Recognising that all social media, for example, through work situations around Zoom or through Skype, can be actually quite taxing on people as well. So maybe using other means to communicate, engage with people rather than just using one medium would be quite useful. And that 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 also connects to the way in which people would experience some mental health impacts. So the question around financial stress that might play in your mental health. So so there's a lot of people obviously that um, have lost their jobs, uh, have reduced hours. And a, that does play into another stressor that we're experiencing. So if you've got a job, that's you know that's not one, something you're experiencing. But but for people who, who have lost jobs, uh, they're, they're obviously wondering about what's going to happen next, how they're going to plan for the future, how long is it going to last for. Again, it probably goes back to this issue around what you can and can't control in that context. So there'd be things that you can't control in terms of, um, when it's likely the job market's going to likely open up or when it's not going to likely to go back into work. Um, but what you can control is probably things that are associated with the financial issues as around, well, you know, can I talk to my bank about refinancing, for example, a loan or can I uh, seek some government assistance? So these are the sort of ways in which you might want to manage just to sort of separate into issues around what things you can and can't control in that context.
2: And just on the, um, the social aspect, I think it's important, like, by law, you're allowed to go out with one other person. so I mean if you mm. if you've got a friend that lives you know within five minutes or ten minutes of you, why not meet up and go for a walk together? Yeah, absolutely. that's some great
4: tips. I mean, I mean I think that I, I think people are starting to utilize that and be creative about how to do that as well, but absolutely correct. I mean you, 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 there are some flexibility in which how you can you can do that and engage with people. I think it might be a bit difficult for people there might be a bit isolated themselves, just generally. Like they, they may not have as many friends, or they may not have the opportunity to do that. So there's probably they probably need to find some other ways of connecting with with others uh, if they have not that, got that opportunity. Yeah,
3: I was reading yesterday. There's uh, there's been a massive spike in bike sales in the last um, couple of months because of the, yeah. all of this. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I, I, to yeah. be honest,
2: haven't seen as many people exercising around here the last couple of weeks. It's, uh, I mean, if that's a silver lining, we're all out there walking Yeah, it's got to be good. Yeah.
4: And, and 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 why do you think that that happens? I mean, it happens because people, I think one of the things that we need to tap into here is we actually are very creative and we're adaptive and we evolve very quickly and we adapt. And I think that's the thing that I think that we often miss in this context. We often focus on... How uh, traumatic the experience is, but actually, there's this concept around post-traumatic growth, right? This concept about actually, we, we often don't we don't focus on a, a natural coping mechanism. And I I recently sort of uh, read this research that looked at how people have responded to um, the social isolation, you know, staying away from people, not shaking hands, and how natural that is for us to do that, right? And the reason why people do that is because they fear. Contamination. They fear catching something, right? And so, fear actually is quite an important part of negative emotions. Actually, is an important part of coping and recognising. Actually, that's that's a natural part. Often we try to ignore it, right? And then we find ways of coping with it. So you go for this process of neg- negative experience, and I'm experiencing that. I'm experiencing fear. I'm experiencing anxiousness. But then people adapt pretty quickly. So your example, I buy a cycle, a bicycle, or I buy an exercise bike or I buy a trampoline, which I did for my kids. You know, I never would have bought a trampoline before this process for my kids, and they'd love it, right? Um, but now, you know, or people are sort of down next door have bought like a, a netball ring or a basketball ring. You know, people are starting to sort of think of ways of doing it. So there actually is another side to this, which is about adaptation. Um, and I think we can often focus on the mental health issues, which I can understand. As a psychologist. I'm quite keen to talk about that, and people be really worried about it. But there's also... A lot of people
2: experience adaptation as well. Yeah, I think like in so many parts of our life, whether it's our work, our health, our relationships, our rhythm, our routine, your business, your whatever it is, it's really good to press reset sometimes. And I, as much as it sucks that the economy has shut down and there are so many people hurting because they've lost work, I think we will all look back at this period and go, Thank goodness that we had a big reset because I've come out of it different and we've changed for the better.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned before, Franco, about routine. Like for someone OCD, like the routine's just been thrown out the out the window, hasn't it? So, it's, it's a lot to mm-hmm. deal with um, in all shapes and forms, not even to, to mention financial.
4: Yeah, that's right. That's
2: right. Now, we've got a question from Claire Ruther. And I like this one because I've recently uh, read the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And wow. she asks, why is our sleep so screwed when we get stressed about everything, money, health, life, etc.? Like does the body not shut yeah. off or something like that if you've got something on your mind? Yeah.
4: I think uh, and I, I see this quite a lot in some of my clients who experience a lot of stress that they find it. Re- well, the first thing that goes out the window is their, is their sleep. The sleep patterns. It probably is a bit connected to other things that happen in your life. How you prepare for sleep, um, what happens during the day. You know, are you consuming more coffee, caffeine, or alcohol? Um, are you going to bed late? Um, and it's it's so some of that's associated with sleep hygiene side. Um, so how you do that. Um, the other part also is that you you're going to bed with a lot of worries, you're going to bed with a lot of stresses mm-hmm. and um, and how you manage that during the day is, it will impact on the way in which you take that into quite a significant part, uh, important part, which actually is your sleep, which actually is quite important to the way you process uh, memories and process emotions and thinking, particularly when you're in in a REM part of your your you know, repetitive eye movement part of sleep, which is really around um, where you, you, your capacity to repair uh, what's going on? Your way of restoring thinking and your creation of memories, and that actually is as a sort of a catch twenty two situation, isn't it? Because that then impacts on the on your day function as well. So it becomes a bit of a cycle. I Often, think in these circumstances, when you're feeling stressed, you can get into a bit of a, 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 a habit loop, and it's really good to catch it and sort of say, okay, well, how do I start developing some good habits around sleep? And that is again goes back to the issue around finding the time for sleep, but also about how you do things during the day as well. So, it's all that linkages there. It's all a bit of a loop for how people experience sleep and also the impact of sleep on generally your
2: mental health. Have you got any tips or like breathing exercises or even if it's a five-minute mindfulness exercise that you can do before you sleep? And I guess for me personally, with this whole routine thing, when the shutdown happened, like realistically, my life didn't change that much because I could still go down to the studio. i you know, I'm mm. not set Like it, it hadn't changed, but my mindset changed and I thought, oh, the world stops. So I'm on holidays. Next thing I'm going to bed at 1.30am, I'm waking up at lunchtime and yeah. the first week of the shutdown was a train wreck for me. <laughs> I, I was going to the Woolworths and... I was depressing because there was no food, so I was yeah. just buying chocolate and ice cream, <laughs> and I was a train wreck, so I had to go anxiety. hang on I've got to now not fall into those bad habits, and I've now you know I'm back going to sleep by ten thirty waking at seven a m or just cracking the window shade so the natural light wakes me up earlier and and just stuff like that so <laughs> yeah,
4: I think <laughs> the tips there around again goes back to how you how your day function actually impacts on your sleep, isn't it? Because your, your whole, like I said, it goes back to, I know it's a overused word, but a routine actually is so important because it gives us some structure. It gives us an opportunity to give the place and time for sleep to occur. Um, so that's important. I think some of the tips about preparing for sleep really goes back to this issue around maybe being off your devices. I know that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? Like it's, you know, taking your phone even to your room, maybe having some structure around not having that in your bedroom. So bedroom really, is really for sleep and sex <laughs> uh not necessarily for um bringing your phone in uh, doing your ipad you know looking at your ipad um watching watching videos or movies and i know that people don't necessarily do that uh, they do bring those things into their bedroom and i've been guilty of that myself but i think that that is really quite an important part sleep is is really the bedroom is for sleep and like i said uh, if you if you engage in, in sexual activity, maybe you know sex as well. Or um, the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so, so uh, can give... uh, But you know, if you're feeling stressed when you go to bed, one of the things I do with my clients often is mu- muscle, muscle relaxation, which is a good way of just getting your body to strip, do some stresses around your, your body, some tensing around your muscles to get yourself prepared. Breathing, obviously, is really quite important as well, and there's, there's a there's a range of that activity. We can put it up on the on your on your podcast website if you like some some tools around that. One thing I actually have done with clients, and I don't know how it works, but it seems to work. And people, if they've got a, an issue that's grappling with them, right, they've got an idea, a worry, is to write it down on a piece of paper and crunch it up and then throw it away on, on the floor, you know, on the bedroom floor, carpet, whatever you got in your bedroom. And it seems to disconnect them from the thought, right? It doesn't say the thought's not there it's sort of disconnection from the thought and it puts it out there. And uh, and that seems to uh,
2: – I don't know how it works. and Maybe it's this aspect of people just feeling that it's, it's sort of away from them. Yeah. I think maybe it's like when you do talk therapy, you're just getting it off your chest mm-hmm. and out. And right. I think probably yeah. just the fact that you're writing it down does the trick rather yeah. than – and I mean, sure, if yeah. you want to screw it up and – play some basketball in your house.
3: Yeah. So
4: Claire's
3: (laughs) Claire's question is, I think there's two parts to it because some people can't fall asleep because they're thinking about stuff whereas others will wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep because new thoughts have come into their head and everything's compounded Mm. when we wake up in the middle of the night. Talk to us about that part only.
4: Yeah, okay. Well, that happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Often people wake up. Again, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? They're, they're obviously worried about something that they have been disrupted and they find it very hard to go back to sleep. And, and I guess one of the things about that, you become anxious about that as well, don't you? You become anxious about going back to sleep. And you can't go back to sleep and you're worried about it. If I'm not getting enough sleep, then it's going to disrupt my day and I'll be a total wreck the next day and, and so forth. So really, in a way, it's trying to separate that thought from, okay, I, I'm finding it very really difficult to sleep and, and, and sort of like – recognizing that it's not going to totally wreck my day there's going to be times when i can't get to sleep and uh and it's going to be and it's being okay so it's really about sort of having sort of a a thought around just challenging not challenging thought but sort of accepting the fact that actually hang on I'm you know I, i find it very difficult at the moment and that's okay you know i'm not and not get too concerned about that so it's really about having that sort of conversation with you the other part also is is if there's a if there's a thought about something's waking you up, or you, then you start ruminating on a particular issue, is recognizing maybe just adopting this view. You know, I often have that thought. You know, it's it's going to go, it's going to pass, uh, and not connecting with it, right? But not pushing it away either. So if I had to ask you both, if there's a noise in the room and and just ignore it, you're most likely not going to be able to do that. So so a really good technique is not to actually push it away and say. Um, I'm going to ignore it. Just accept the fact that you find it difficult at the moment to sleep. And what happens, generally speaking,
2: is that you feel a bit more relaxed about that. Mm, Yeah, interesting. Daniel's got a question here. What are some mindset strategies for dealing with survivor guilt when close friends are being stood down? So, obviously, Daniel's kept his job. He's feeling guilty that he's still working and some people in his life have been stood down. Yeah, so it's this vicarious sort of trauma, isn't it? Like,
4: so what what people often feel when when they're dealing with work, workers survivors' guilt is they're feeling that why me? What did I survive? What did I still got my job? And you know, they really miss their friends and they feel a sense of loss and grief, don't they? Around around that, and I think one of the things around loss and grief around uh, is sort of having a sense of experiencing that, saying yes, it is. It's hard for these people. It's hard for what they're experiencing, and maybe sometimes I've been reaching out to them and saying how they're going. and And you also might feel lack of motivation in your work as well. So you might feel like there's a lack of productivity. What's the point of of uh, working harder if uh, you know people are being let off? There's also another reaction people might have is is really um, they've got to work harder <laughs> as well, ironically, because they feel like that they might lose it. They might be next, right? So really, it's about it's a, The a mindset really is about trying to maintain the same mindset prior to this happening. Really, my, my job in a way is I've, I've done my job. I've done my job really well. These people are a victim of circumstance and there's no one else's fault about that. I've got my job. Um, I'm going to do the best thing I can and to maximise what I'm doing. But also it's really about reaching out to people as well, connecting with them. Um, so sometimes we avoid people because, one, we feel like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're doing it hard and I, I don't want to make it worse for them because I've got my job and they'll feel terrible about that. Mm. But often people don't feel that way and sometimes when we actually talk to people about what's going on for them, it makes us feel a bit better as well. Yeah. Um, so connecting with them, having a mindset that's really around, you know, um, saying, okay, well, I've got a job. I'm gonna make I'm gonna maximize as much as best I can the job I've got. You can often feel risk averse in your job and it's probably the best time at the moment to be creative on your job, to be to talk to your your manager or your boss about what's happening in the workplace and how they can assist as well. So it's really being more growth oriented mindset rather than just reacting to what's happening.
2: Yeah, and I think for you know, the survivor guilt quote unquote, I mean I'm not sure if that's a clinical term if somebody, you know, if there's two people on it, if John and I were on a bus and there was a bomb on it and John died and I survived, I mean, I'd feel pretty, I probably wouldn't feel that guilty actually, but (laughs) I mean, everyone back off. Um, I, I joke at inappropriate times. I'm sorry, everybody. But I guess I'm saying is with Daniel's friends, they're, they're, they're not deceased. He didn't survive them physically. But this advantage is that he can pick up the phone and go, hey, I know you're doing it tough. Is there anything I can do? Or can you cook a meal and drop it over? Can you practically, this is the way that you can actually practically help if you organize a Zoom Zoom beers or whatever, get your friends, do a Zoom beers. And and recognizing
3: that it it shouldn't be guilt. Like it's controlling the controllables. It wasn't your fault that he lost his job. Yeah.
2: But but I think yeah, yeah, just to be very. But, but, often, but often
4: the guilt, but often the guilt's associated with grief, isn't it? And grief and loss. Uh, so guilt is sort of a secondary, is a secondary feeling associated with uh, loss and grief. Mm. And so, and I think that the point you just made there, which is really quite important, is really that um, it's not about empathy necessarily. It's more about compassion. So empathy is compassion is empathy with action. And so you can you can empathise with someone of actually not doing anything. Mm. So I feel sorry for, you know, for Bob, you know, he lost his job and he must be doing it hard. But the actual, the other part of it is compassion, which is actually the action. I, I'll ring him mm. or check in with him. Um, I'll see how he's going. Uh, often we don't do that because we con- we confront with this loss and grief and we don't really deal with it. Yeah.
2: And, and it's almost funny, like, when, if a friend or, if, I'll, I'll say a friend, if a friend's parents die or one of their parents dies or their siblings die, I think in the West, we freak out with grief and we don't know how to deal with it. And a lot of the times it's like, oh, John's mum died or John's dad died. I'm just going to withdraw and not disturb John. Where John's still a person and he'll still answer his phone and chat with a friend. So, I think it's okay to still connect. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's wow. probably when I'm talking about psychology, it's going well beyond the scope of my <laughs> existence. But I'll move to a question. No, no it's a really good insight from, see, Glenn. from Helen Bruce. And this is a big one. Isolation and online shopping. Is there likely to be more spontaneous purchasing occurring and ways to combat it? If so. So I guess my layman's term view of that, Franco, is I'm I need a crutch to get through. And whether that crutch is online shopping, I'm buying something, I'm feeling good, I'm drinking more alcohol because I'm feeling good. Yeah, i am got more time. Or I'm Glen James, I'm at Woolworths, I'm buying chocolate and ice cream yeah. to make myself feel good as a crutch. If we keep it generally like what are your thoughts about, I guess, because everyone's got their thing and some people's mm. thing is online shopping, some people's thing is chocolate, some people's thing is gambling, some people's thing is tobacco or whatever it is. How do we be aware of our thing, our crutch, to make sure it doesn't overcome us?
4: Mm. Well, it's, a, it's emotional coping, isn't it? So you're using some ways of dealing with emotion and the emotion that you're dealing with is uncertainty and lack of control. So people generally go to some form of way of coping with that to get a bit more control. And they find some uh, short-term gain, Emotional gain, um, and then get a hit from that. So if it's either um, I'm going to go to the fridge and you know, or go to the cupboard and get some chocolate out, or I'm going to hoe into some chips, or um, I'm going to go to the shop or buy a whole range of things that are going to make me feel good. You know, are you talking about or me or generally?
3: generally? <laughs> been looking in
4: cupboard. <laughs> no, well, a, there are people that do that, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, but also online, in a way, it's just the instant, isn't it? That's mm. a, and, and that's why uh, that you know. People who buy, you stay up at l- late at night and watching TV and they, they randomly buy a whole range of things and then, you know, treadmills appear in their house. And, um, see, my,
3: my, uneducated, um, look at this is it's either boredom or stress, one of those two or a combination well, of both.
4: Well, it's, it's stress, stress is going to increase your sort of cortisone levels, right? Uh, from a, from a physiological perspective. And then what happens is that you're, you're purchasing releases the dopamine which makes you feel better and that's a, that becomes a, a bit of a habit loop and it's a short-term habit loop it's a short-term uh, emotional coping mechanism but longer term it's uh, going to have more detrimental impacts which is basically you, you've got a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need um and you feel a lot of buyers regret uh, and guilt or you physically physiologically increase you know uh you know Body weight because you know you, you know your weight's going up because you you don't exercise as much and you're eating more, so it's an emotional coping mechanism. So one way of coping with that is again being aware of the triggers, being aware that actually I'm doing it, and and being aware that actually that 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 that's, that's happening for that reason. Two actually, so it's, it's one is a, a become awareness around that emotional trigger associated with that coping mechanism. Two is is there a more adaptive way in which to manage that uncertainty? And lack of control. And so and so there's some cognitive strategies around saying, so recognizing that actually is what's happening, right? So if you're randomly buying things online and you find yourself, you know, I've spent like a thousand dollars on something, then that's probably a really good cue that something's going on there for you. Why did it happen then? Right. And so so it's really recognizing the triggers and connecting it to the level of uncertainty and lack of control. So how could I make things more certain? How can I control things that are controllable? It goes back to those sort of currency mm, strategies.
3: Thanks, thanks for sharing Glenn's life with us there in the last five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Lisa Murray asks, I feel the immense pressure at work right now to perform at an even higher level for threat of reduced hours or worse. How can I manage this daily stress and how I constantly feel physical panic in my body because of it?
4: Mm. Well, I think one of the things that maybe Lisa needs to – maybe become more aware of is, is, is this likely to happen? Is this a likely outcome? So is, is she, um, so one of the things that, you know, if I was speaking to Lisa, at least will talk to me about it, would be try to better understand why she feels that this might happen. And so is she overestimating the, the the threat about losing her job at the moment? And so And so really, in a way, just talking through that issue. So maybe for her perspective, maybe talking to someone about that would be quite useful. Maybe either another colleague or her boss, about how she's feeling at the moment. And I know a lot of workplaces at the moment actually do have employee assistance programs. You can actually talk to people, seek help, you know, confidentially around this. But maybe just herself, just really checking in with her own self about is she overestimating the threat there? I can understand that that would be a threat that people would experience. Mm.
3: Because she may have actually had a a situation where most of the colleagues around her had lost her job and she's the last person standing.
4: And it connects a bit to, to to Daniel's question, isn't it? Around what's your mindset around that? So, there's about this worker survivor guilt. So, I was talking about it when I talked about that question earlier. I sort of made the point that you could either either go into, I'm not going to work as hard. So, you lack a lack of productivity, or you can go in the over, you know, you can overextend yourself in a sense that I have to work at a higher level because I fear that something's going to happen to me. So, it's a vicarious trauma in some ways that you're experiencing. the the same sort of issue that uh, that other people might be experiencing. So maybe it's a bit about grief and loss that that could be experiencing there. But it's obviously causing her a lot of stress and she's feeling panic, right, that this might happen. So there are some ways and doing some bodily stuff when that happens is, you know, the breathing is really quite an important strategy in dealing with a panic attack or if that's what she's experiencing, some level of panic, like heightened level of um, heartbeats, or she feels that my mind's racing, is to, to try to connect with her with her breathing. Because the way of her, her breathing is not going to be the, the part that's actually accelerating. Her breathing is going to be the most constant part of her body, it connects her to her body. So that's one way of managing uh, uh, maybe a panic attack or when you feel in a sense of panic occurring in the situation. So that's the first level of approach. The second one is then... Over, not overestimating am I overestimating the threat there the third part probably then is uh then talking to someone about you know some strategies in which you know uh, about how she can better manage her work is it actually expected of her to work as hard as, as she is so is it just something that she's decided to do is it something her boss is implying you know imposing on her or her manager And maybe talking a bit about what's going on. So, one of the things that happens sometimes with people who reduce workplace, they take on other people's jobs that are no longer there. So, it could be an issue of just scope of work is now increased, which actually then increases her capacity to, you know, her lack of capacity to deal with that, what's going on. And it's understandable. So, maybe talking to her manager about that would be quite useful.
2: Yeah, I, I found like from personal experience, and it's been many years since, like when I was under extreme anxiety slash panic stages and it manifests in your physical body, I um, the guy that I saw at the time, the breathing stuff and he, I, I got in an appointment like the night where something happened and he actually got mm. a pen and he, and he waved it in front of my eyes and he said, just follow the pen with your eyes. And then what, because yeah. from a natural instinct thing, you will default to looking external, to protect yes. yourself which removes yourself from your own mind and then yeah. it was breathing, it was following his pen like a wand for like two minutes to bring me into my body yeah. touching the lounge or the, the seat that I was... He goes, if you ever in that situation, just grab the chair you're sitting on and feel it and just try and bring yourself out of your mind back into your body. Yeah, that's uh, EM, EMDR, which is uh,
4: which is a way of just desensitising yourself for eye, eye movement. Yeah. Another one you just talked about there about connecting back to a chair is actually grounding, doing a grounding exercise as well. So, what are five things I see? What are four things I hear? What are three things I feel? Uh, what are two things I smell? So, so connecting you back into the room and into that moment. As a way of uh, uh, breaking down the connection to the panic. Mm, mm. Actually, kids use that, use that. Kids use that. I use that a lot with children as well. And they find it really useful because it really grounds them. Breathing, they find it a bit difficult because, oh, you know, what's my breathing like? But actually, when you say the start to think of oh, what's five things you can see? What are four things you can hear? Actually, it's a far better, more concrete way of
2: dealing with it. Maybe the guy that I saw thought I was a childlike sign so headed to be <laughs> treated, like was, one. treated like one. But just. Um, In the short time we've got left, I just want to go to just some quick talking points. And this is the real, I think, with this whole shutdown and the COVID thing, to me, the most critical and sad and stressful thing that I don't like to think about because it makes me a bit upset is if you're a person in an unsafe home environment, whether it is an abusive parent, whether it is an abusive spouse, you know... Where do we start? If you like, I guess, are there resources or things if somebody is stuck in that environment?
4: Yeah, well, it's a it's it's a it's a huge issue. I mean, irrespective of where we're in at the moment, uh, irrespective of the COVID nineteen, where you know one woman dies a week through um, domestic violence, and that's not tolerable, or acceptable in any circumstance that we're in. Uh, but it, these things can get. More stressful, and it c- can be more heightened outcomes uh, could could emerge because of the fact that we're in at the moment, or and locked f- up in house, or, or social and financial stress being
2: locked up as well.
4: And that's right, that's right, that's right. So I think that there are there are a lot of resources there that people can tap into, and you know, we, we can list them. As part yeah, we, of we, we might put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. But but I think but I think one of the things that um, and I just read recently that that actually the number of callers haven't necessarily uh, increased. And I'm just wondering whether that's a that indicates where there's no problem, or whether people don't feel safe at home.
3: Because mm. you do often read that, don't you? They don't. Yeah, they don't but actually, there's
4: been an increase of ma- increase of males ringing uh, recently. So uh, recent times. So so that's that's sort of a positive thing because there's, at least men are ringing and, and trying to find help for whatever they're experiencing. There's also situations where I think I'm not sure if this happens in Australia because I need to check this one. But but people can ring and people will know like okay, a, a number and they can they can actually then have to say anything, but they know that there's an issue at the house. So there's one there's ways there's more creative ways of giving mm. people the opportunity to ring, but not necessarily to say anything. But they, it rings a number that people can then contact contact yeah, it's, back. It's code
2: because um, they know it? there's an issue there.
4: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah,
1: letter. it's code.
2: Yeah. And it what is if, code, yeah. how how can people maybe just some rapid fire, you know, if you live by yourself or if you're in a share house or if you're couples mm-hmm. with young families, like what are some things that I guess can be done just to help reduce any household stress? Because a lot of the time, it's like if one person in the house is diagnosed with cancer, the whole house has it because it just affects mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. if one person's yeah. been laid off, Work, and there's a huge financial stress on one of the main breadwinners of the family or the household. That's going to be felt throughout the household. Mm. So, have you got any comments or thoughts around? So, so just on
4: signals or on just people just in a shared house, or well, anyone so really? If you, yeah. Okay, if you're, if you're single, I think um, one of the things you're going to you're going to be feeling is social isolation. So. So finding ways in which you can connect with people would be really quite kind of important. If you're living in, by yourself, for example, uh, that's an increased level of isolation. So one way is just ensuring that you you are connected with others, and in some level, someone. And maybe the, the you talked about earlier, maybe just bringing a friend and saying let's go for a walk together. Finding some other ways in which to connect with others. Also, the issue is what people can experience as well. If you're a single household and you lost your job, is that hey, how, how am I going to? How am I going to maintain my my rent or my house repayments and how do I reach out to people? So so there's got to be ways in which you can find, try to, try to find ways in which well, what are things I can control in that context uh, where i have being stressed in that environment. And some people just are on their own. They haven't got anyone else to depend on. Mm. Um, but, um, but there's a lot of financial institutions that are out there to help and I see a lot of clients that are, uh, are working through. So I've got one client who's uh, single but is uh, from England but has a house in England, and uh, she had the same issue. She's living by, on her own. She's worried about her parents. She's worried about her financial situation in England, uh, like a, she's got a rental in England, but she's managed to not pay, you know, the bank, the, she arranged something with the bank not to pay repayments for about three months, mm. and um,
2: and that made her feel a lot more comfortable. She
4: felt like she had some level of control there, for example.
2: Yeah. So, I guess anyone who's got some financial stress and you owe money to people, the first thing to do is pick up the phone and have a chat with people that you owe money to. I mean, a lot of the lenders are pushing... If you're in hardship, they're pushing out payments for six months, three mm-hmm. months. Uh, if you've got a credit card, just pay the minimum payments or call them up, tell them to get stuffed because it's unsecured debt. Uh, there's, I think for me, if I personally get overcome with anxiety... It's because of that fear, false evidence appearing real. You think what you think you think is real. Uh, And the way that I've overcome that is to actually source data and get the facts in front of me. And that could be calling the people you owe money to, calling subscriptions, calling your health fund, calling your insurers and saying, what can you do for people in financial hardship and I think once you get the facts in front of you, it can help on a mental and yeah. emotional level.
4: Well, the thing about that too is because what happens, I think, when you feel stressed and anxious is that you feel alone, and you and you and you hunker down, don't you? Like you don't actually seek help. And there's and and so often that's what you shouldn't do, in a sense of I don't want to go into shoulds, but what you probably more adaptive way of dealing with it actually is to seek help, find some information, as you said. There's another client I had who for example um, has runs her own business and um, went to their accountant and think what well, is there any government assistance and the account said no not for you because you don't employ anyone well that's not it's not true I sort of said to her like you know it's actually not true the Government actually gives assistance to people who run their own businesses they don't employ people like it's, she goes, I didn't realize that Sacked so, so in a way like there's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there at the moment there's a lot I mean the government's put a lot of money out there which is fantastic they actually put a lot of money out there for mental health as well got to realize. And Australia is one of the first countries that recognised the impact of mental health through COVID-19. So mm. so clients now can just do telehealth, like yeah. for a doctor, for a physio, for a psychologist. Um, and
2: I can run all my, all my clients uh, now if you've got a mental health plan, you get a bulk build. Yeah. So just um, on that, because I want to wrap it up for the sake of time. Yeah, sure. If somebody wants to reach out, to your website what is that website or the best place to contact you
4: so it's a www.yourpsychologist.net.au
2: now and if you're if you're going to do some consults for people they're best to get the mental health plan from their gp and that's right can you just update everybody once that happens what is the benefits i guess financially for the mental health plan so you're entitled to 10 mental health sessions in a year so
4: you go to your doctor, and, and the doctor assesses your um, whether you've got depression or anxiety. Or is that doing, the K K twelve form? Well, the- that's a K. So, so they do they do an assessment on your. Um, they do an assessment based on ten questions of K ten. Oh, K uh, ten is it? Yeah, 10 questions. Yeah. Yep. But but in a way, uh, the doctor makes that assessment, and then they refer you to a psychologist. So You can go to any psychologist really. Yeah. And most psychologists would provide some sort of bulk billing or a charge a charger gap as well. I don't charge... During this period, I'm not charging any gap. I'm just going to bog bill for people. Um, so, there'll be no charge to people.
2: Yeah, basically. and that's, that's really good because mm. when I went, I went and did the... I had the mental health assessment plan when I, you know... I think I've done it twice. And I think the government gave you $100 per session, I right. think. So, the guy yeah. I was going to, I think I had to pay the gap of $50 each session. That's right. Ish. So, I think it's important. Yeah. There is... In this heightened time of financial stress and other life stresses, see your GP. If you don't want to go and see mm. your GP, call them and do a televisit with the GP. Get the mental health plan through Medicare and your GP. Contact a psychologist. Um, and like Franco said, he's just going to be bulk billing, so there'll be no gap. Yeah. And. Do ten sessions. Do ten weeks worth of sessions. Yeah, like, the key is just to talk about, isn't it? Just get it In off UK. your chest. I'm just such a fan of talk therapy.
4: And, the, and the about, and the great thing about at the moment of the, the government is that they've allowed us to do that online yeah. or by phone, not just face to face. So previously that was just for regional, rural, remote people. Yeah, but now it's um, anyone who's experiencing um, they don't want to get to their home. They just want to talk to someone. We can do this like we're doing now, just online, and mm. and that's a uh, you know, I think that that's that's a. a I mean, a hats up to the governments, and that's probably joint governments, both Commonwealth and, and the state governments, that they've actually engaged in that because they're the, one of the first governments that recognise the impact on mental health that we're going to experience, and we're not just going to experience it now. It's actually going to be something. Yeah. In six months' time, it's yeah. going to be the issue where people mainly feel, are going to be feeling a lot more of the stresses around mental health. Not so much right our experience of these things now, but they're coping with it, right? But in six months' time, that's where you're going to see a lot more of these issues
2: come up. And just for those who have never engaged with a psychologist or any type of talk therapy, if they went to their GP, number one, when I first told my GP that I was feeling the way I was, for him, he he was very compassionate. I thought he would laugh at me because of the stigma or whatever. Yeah. He said to mm. me, oh, it's probably more than likely you've got some depression and i think we need to look at it. Yeah. It was just very clinical matter of fact. I didn't yeah. feel um i didn't feel any of the thoughts that i thought i'd feel. So if someone talks to their gp, gets the mental health plan and they book an appointment with say for example you Franco, what do they need to do to prepare for the first session with you? Do they need to bring anything or have anything ready? So so best to
4: bring the letter from the doctor at the, the mental health plan because that's uh, that that gives the, the psychologist uh, an opportunity then to um just to read through what what the doctor's saying and and uh, what are some of the issues that this person's presenting with. But I, I would actually um I I I would like to speak to my clients before they come into a session um and just explain to them this is what's going to happen, what's going on for you so they I feel they feel connected with me before they come in. And so uh, so I spent about five to 10 minutes with them on the phone just to ask them a little bit what's going on. And so, and they talk a little bit about their story and they've really, you really got a connection. I think one of the things that, <clears throat> I don't know how you felt when you are in therapy, but 60% of the effectiveness of outcomes is the relationship between the client and their therapist. So as long as you, as soon as you build some sense of rapport with someone and they, they, they're trusting you they they really help. They, it really helps them mm-hmm. uh, before they even get there. Go into people's websites and look at their sites. You know, some you know, psychologists have got videos. I've got a video explaining a bit about what I do and who I am, and they can visualize who I am. And I think it's really quite important. Uh, you, you talk about from a sporting perspective, visualizing what they might like look, look like as well. Some people are pretty uh, get a little bit stressful when they come to see a psychologist. And what am I going to say? And you know, it's. It's a, it's your moment. It's your, you know, it's your session. Remembering that the psychologist is there to help you, and they really, are, they're interested in your life story and they're interested in what's going on for you, and they're there for you and they're they're willing to listen. So I think that's probably the mindset you want to bring into it.
3: So is there is there a positive in the sense that now they're not coming in to physically eyeball you, they can pick up the phone and have a chat to you. Uh, about their situation, do they would they feel more comfortable that they don't have to eyeball you? Is that an advantage in this in this time or not?
4: Um, I, I mean, I, I like to. I mean, I, I think uh, visually, it's always good to be physically with someone, like to talk a bit about some of the personal issues they're facing. But some people might find that less confronting to do
2: it online or on the phone. Yeah. Well, even in even in this time, like if you had a a client or a new patient uh, reach out and want an appointment, would you ask them? Would you would you say, hey, I prefer to use Zoom where we can see each other, but I totally understand for the first few sessions if you want to just do it okay, vocal only off. or voice only?
4: Yeah. yeah. I offer people the choice uh, of face-to-face. Uh, on, so if they're, if they're not presenting with any symptoms, I would say to them we could do it face-to-face. And some people, most people take that up, but also uh, sometimes they, they don't want to go outside, not because they are not got any symptoms, they just don't want to go outside because they fear what's going on. They might fear they might they're vulnerable. For example, that I got a client, for example, who's got uh, lung issues, no symptoms, but doesn't feel comfortable going out outdoors. Uh, mm. Or someone's who got health anxiety, for example, you know, uh, that they fear uh, that they go out, they might yeah, they might uh, contract the the virus. Mm. So it's a tricky one, that one, because you got you want to be able to you want to be able to give them the opportunity to see
2: you, but you also don't want to use that as an opportunity to sort of avoid.
4: Going out, you know, if anyone have got help. Yeah,
2: design. it was probably more just to ask for people all around Australia who might want to, after listening to this, you know, they've they've felt a connection with you and they might want to dial in from Perth or Brisbane, for example. Yeah. So, mm. well, That's good. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. We might leave it there. Franco, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and thanks, we'll put Franco. a heap of resources in the show notes and... Yeah, we'll uh, we'll continue the discussion in the Facebook group. So, thank you, Franco you Gecko. Can. Thanks, guys. Bye.
3: Thanks, Franco. Hi, I'm Shel. And I'm Em. We have a podcast called My Millennial Career. So, if you're looking for any tips about work, you've got questions on how to deal with your boss, maybe you're after a pay rise or inspiration to change careers, you can head on over and subscribe to My Millennial Career wherever you're listening to this
0: podcast. You've heard of cryptocurrency. You've heard of pseudocurrency. Now it's time for a bit of a good old social currency. It's time for Community Member of the Week.
2: All right, John, who have we got this week? Community Member of the Week goes we to... have Kate. She's a 28-year-old uh, Victorian from... Is it Werribee? Yes, it is a Werribee. Nice. She's an e-commerce marketing manager. So, thanks for listening to the podcast, Kate. Mm. You are our community member of the week. Her financial goal is a new kitchen which costs 10 grand. Cheap <laughs> kitchen? I have no idea. Yeah. I had a client who did... good value. Did, they did the fit outs and I may have said this before. I think they did... Um, I won't say because it's privacy but... A big Hollywood celebrity actor and a musician who spend their time between Sydney and Nashville, mm-hmm. their kitchen on Sydney Harbour and it was like 150 grand. So really? For the kitchen? For the kitchen. Ooh, that's uh Wildness. That is. So how's Kate going about achieving the goal, John?
3: Well, she's got a weekly savings deposits going into her redraw account. Uh, she's only allowing herself one retail treat a month, be it new towels, a bin or a dress.
2: Right. So she's buying mm. once per month
3: priorities. Yeah. That's cool. One a month. She's right. happy with that. And whatever it is for you, that's, uh, you, you just own it, don't you? Silliest money mistake, leaving my house deposit in a basic savings account for several years, never in a term deposit, etc.
2: And I'm, I'm, I'm not crucifying somebody for that because the fact that she was still saving yeah. is good. But obviously there could have been a couple of grand lost there could, from Could interest. have
3: maximised it. Yeah. Yeah. I, heard, you know the saying about Werribee, the Werribee duck, oh. in more shit than the Werribee duck. Oh, he's <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that, not is that's it, not you though, Kate. No, is Werribee near where you? Where Mal- are you it's from? Melbourne. But
2: I'm northwest of Melbourne originally, but yeah, this is a suburb of Melbourne. Oh, it's yeah. within Melbourne, is it? Yeah. yeah. So Werribee Duck, love it. Mm. All right, thanks for listening today, guys, and we will catch you soon. Thank you. Bye.
0: If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals.
1: This podcast supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you want some other giving options or if you are unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au.
0: If you're looking for a super fund that puts its members' interests above all else, choose a super performer, Sun Super. With low fees, strong investment returns and great member services, Sun Super is Super Ratings 2020 Fund of the Year and has also been awarded by Money Magazine, CanStar and Finder. Find out more at sunsuper.com.au forward M3. You can join Sun Super online in under five minutes. Thanks to Jess Knaus, producer, Nathan Robertson, editor, and me, Asher. Anyway, make sure you're connected via Instagram and our free Facebook group. We also film most of our content now, so check out My Millennial Money on YouTube.
1: John.
2: Glenn. If you hear this song, tell me what it is. Where's it where's it from?
3: Uh oh, I don't watch enough TV shows. Good song though. Tell me, put me out of my misery this way. I don't know
2: Give me a clue Dawson's Creek Oh yeah Never watched it That was a million years ago Yeah What's your favourite show? Like if you were going to binge Watch something What are you watching at the moment? Oh, I'm watching uh, Narcos Mexico Yeah Mm. I've started that It's pretty gruesome Yeah I've kind of lost interest Yeah well Because the first one was just amazing. Yeah, yeah, and this has gone a bit
3: left field, but I still enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. You?
2: Um, I just started watching Unorthodox on Netflix. Is it good? It's very. So it's about uh, an Orthodox Jew who escaped right her pre-arranged marriage Ah. in New York, in Brooklyn. Wow! And basically left and jumped on a plane and went to Berlin ballsy and she ends up living with some musical students and i'm not doing a spoiler alert because i've only watched i think three episodes yeah. the um yeah they track her down and yeah do they? wow it's it's pretty wild like just yeah. to have an insight into such a i guess strict oh. jewish orthodox religion yeah, could never imagine
3: yeah over so, the over the easter weekend Foxtel released the top 50 AFL games for the last 50 years. Oh, really? I was in Foxtel heaven.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wild. So, if you are still listening to The After Party, this is the first, I guess, interview that we've done in the new studio. Mm. And I can... Smell the paint. I know. I think I'm high from the yeah. concrete paint. On the, so, we moved out of the studio that I was at because I shared in the Facebook group, there's a video in there, what not to be like as a landlord. Mm. Oh, I had a bit of running with the landlord and he's a Wally. Didn't know back. So, I was just like, you know what? You're not getting one more cent of my money. No. So, we got the hell out of there and I've now decked out my double car garage Yep. As, good. as our new studio. So, you may hear... In the background, birds <laughs> cheap, chirping and... <laughs> lawns being mowed. Lawns being mowed. But we're going to... We'll try and do it as best we can. But, uh yeah, we just had to move quickly. So, I did that over the Easter long weekend. Hmm. So, I, I basically worked the whole weekend. Yeah, it looks good. So, we're going to deck it out. Hmm. And, yeah, should be good. Yeah. All, All right. right, fam. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for All being right. involved in the Facebook group, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for... um Yeah, just listening to us and yeah, we are we are you. We're trying to make it better, all the time. So, Mm. all right, see you, John. All right, see you, Glenn, mate.